Oh my goodness, your memory is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. As my mother says, compliments will get you everywhere. That's okay for me to quote you back to yourself, right? But it sometimes leaves me a little confused as to what how to answer. That's okay. Or sometimes I feel like saying, shut the hell up. <laughs> uh, that's my mom. I'm Rebecca Garza-Bortman, and this is Advice for Mom. So, dear listeners, whether you're single, coupled up, or not even interested in a cuddle buddy at the moment, this week's question about dating is really about so much more. It comes from someone who signed their letter, Successfully Single. Oh wait, did you just roll your eyes? You might be thinking, what kind of advice does someone who's already successful at being single even require? Well, as usual, my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman, has some ideas. And this letter, like each letter on Advice for Mom, is getting the full-on Advice for Mom treatment. We'll start with personal advice from Dr. Mama B herself, straight from the heart and from her many years of experience as a psychologist and family therapist. 35 years of experience, to be exact. Then I'll lob my mom some feisty follow-up questions with the segment we like to call Mother Daughter Pickleball. In honor of my mama's favorite sport. Basically, it's me giving my mom a hard time about her advice. And I've got 34 years of experience doing that. But really, it's all done in the name of love and clarity. And finally, in the name of a solid second opinion, we will consult with an outside source. This week's outside source happens to know a lot about dating. You could say she wrote the book on it, or at least the history of it. Because, dear listeners, she did. More on that later. But first, remember, this podcast is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to offer diagnosis or treatment for any medical or psychological condition. All treatment decisions should be made in partnership with your health professional. In today's letter, the listener mentions their temperament type. You might have heard of personality temperaments before. They're usually represented by a string of letters. So you could be an ESTJ or an INFP or an ISFJ. And you find this out by taking a personality test. You might have had to take a test like this at work, or maybe you've seen personality types referenced on people's dating profiles or on their LinkedIn page. Two of the most popular tests are called the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator and the Kiersey Temperament Sorter. And my mom loves these tests. Or I should say she loves talking about the results of these tests. And actually, we'll put links in our show notes to a couple sites where you can take free versions of these tests, if you're so inclined. I've taken a bunch of these tests, and I am reliably an ENFP. Yes, you definitely are. Well, here is my thought. Since we talk about temperaments a lot on the show, maybe we need to give them like a grand entrance. Like when I was a kid and you would play those tapes where you would follow along with the book, and it would like be like... You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. So maybe we have some chimes ring, and then we have like a chorus of bored children explain what temperaments are. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. That string of spaghetti letters is a temperament. It helps us to explain ourselves. Hooray for temperaments. <laughs> All right. So we can play those chimes every time temperaments help us to explain ourselves. It's a way to underline it. Exactly. All right. Okay. I, we've underlined it enough. Here's a listener question. Dear Mama B, I'm interested to get your input on my evolving mindset about my dating life. I'm a pretty powerful lady. I coach CEOs for a living, and I'm formerly an executive myself. I've been divorced for about seven years, and when I first got serious about dating again, I set out to find a partner that would meet me at my level. I had no problem meeting great guys, but I never met anyone who felt like they were my professional, spiritual, and emotional equal. Recently, I feel like my search and my mindset about dating has evolved. Partially because of the guys I've been dating, and partially because I feel like I'm learning new things about myself. I'm an ENFP. Hooray for temperaments! I used to think that being successful would make it harder to meet my match. But that doesn't seem like an issue anymore. Now I feel like I want to find someone who's on my wavelength, and the other stuff will just all work out. I'm interested to hear what you think about this new mindset. What is the ideal mindset to be in to meet my person? Signed, Successfully Single. All right, Successfully Single, time for you to get some advice from my mom. Hello, Successfully Single, and thank you so much for your question. So I, was, I think you might be feeling successful partly because you've been doing a lot of work and getting to know yourself and on getting to know the people that you interact with. And you've been doing what an ENFP does best. ENFPs respectfully interact with people and encourage others to grow and change and develop kind of like a cheerleader. And they do all of it in a very diplomatic way. And it sounds like you personally have changed and you're still changing, and I think in the right direction. So Rebecca probably thinks that I'm going to tell you that your expectations are too high. If your expectations are too high, I won't have to tell you that, because life will teach you that. So I think life might well surprise you. You know, we often get our outcome but that outcome may look very different than what we had imagined. Probably the man you choose to have as your life partner won't be real similar to you. Generally, if two people are pretty much the same temperament type, it doesn't work out too well because it becomes a power struggle, uh, possibly because they are both going for the same thing. But he will be compatible with you, and he will be accepting of you and respectful. So let's talk about getting ready to pick the right mate. Being an ENFP as you are, I doubt that your high ideals would allow you to marry for the wrong reasons. And as an ENFP, you're much more likely to be negotiating with people than fighting with them and negotiating with people, especially including your dating partners. As an ENFP, 
you usually probably want to keep all your options open, which I describe as flexibility. You're very flexible, more so than most people. You definitely would do best with a mate who can tolerate it when you want to leave all your options open. In your question, you also say, it doesn't seem like an issue anymore. And I believe that that means that that issue is resolved. Believe it. Believe your inner voice on that. Say to yourself, my mind is a moving target. That's who you are. Or in your own words, I'm evolving, and that's all there is to it. Maybe in the past you've been kind of hard on yourself because that's often a characteristic of your temperament type, an ENFP. But again, from your question, I'd guess that you've accepted who you really are at this point. And I would hope and I would think that that has probably given you some inner peace and a feeling of contentment. And maybe this acceptance of ourselves does play a role in finding a life partner and getting ready to make a big decision like that. So whatever your strategy is, believe in it. Be confident that the right guy will show up. And of course, confidence is a very attractive trait. So I'm simply encouraging you to keep doing whatever you're doing. It seems to be working just fine. In the meantime, while you're waiting, ask yourself this profound but simple question. Do the people around you love you? I have to credit Warren Buffett with that question. Warren Buffett uses this as his best guidepost to life. And so we can use it too. Do the people around you love you? I bet they do. Okay, we're back off. That could only be the sound of one thing. It's time for Mother Daughter Pickleball. Before we get to the match, let's listen in on a recent Florida family vacation where Mama B finds out who's sponsoring her show this week. What if I told you we're running an ad for RX Bars? No. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my golly. RX bars. Remember yesterday in the car when they were talking about RX bars? So you like those too, Jer. Yeah. yeah. Oh my golly, the, the flavors are so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how did you do that, Rebecca? I just told him how much you love RX bars. I mean, I think the whole family agrees. Whether you like sweet or savory, nuts or fruits or something chocolatey, there's an RX bar for you. Flavors for you to peruse. RX bars are smart to chew because RX bars are good for you. Get your protein without that stress. It says right there on the label, no BS. For 25% off your first order, go to rxbar.com slash pickleball and then enter the promo code pickleball at checkout. Let's play mother daughter pickleball. What do you do with the answer to, do the people around me love me? What if they don't? Does that mean you're going to have trouble finding a mate? Probably. Hmm. It will be much easier for a person who loves themselves and accepts themselves 
to love other people and to accept other people. And I do think that that's a key piece. And it's not easy. It's very much not easy. And I'm not saying everybody love you, but I'm saying the people that you've chosen to be near, you know, if they love you, that means that you're probably dealing with your own self-acceptance and your own loving yourself. So it's kind of like an acid test, like a indicator for the bigger picture? Absolutely. And the guidelines that we learn in society and so forth is I must be successful, I must make money, I must be high status. And those things are are not as critical as just that plain old self-acceptance. Hmm. That's interesting, too, because I think a lot of times when people are dating, they can almost see it as like, this is my main social activity. I need to go out there and I need to find my person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes other relationships can fall to the wayside because it can sometimes if it's going well, it can be really hard to integrate other people into like, you know, crazy, crazy love affair times or, you know, the um, multiple dates with multiple people be hard to see friends or see family. That is one of the tough lessons, I think, that uh, young people, if they're, if they're observant and they're pay, paying attention to what's happening in their life, that um, they will get that and they will start to realize that, you know, I still need my support system uh, that I loved and that was I was close to before this relationship. And even if that that support system changes during the time that you're seriously interested in somebody that's fine just keep that keep the other people in your life keep your life very varied with lots of exciting and interesting things it's interesting that you say young people because i in reading this question didn't get the impression that successfully single was very young if she's already been an executive, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. sure that, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're like Doogie Hauser, you're probably, <laughs> that takes some time. Right. Also, she's been divorced for seven years, unless she was like child bride. She's probably, probably not in her 20s. I would agree. I guess the question is, is your advice different for someone who has been married before and gone through a divorce? No, not at all. Not at all. After something that big, being married and divorced just teaches us so much about life and about what the important things are. And in her question, she doesn't talk at all about any fears, any um, any downside in her life right now. She talks about yeah. successfully single. So that tells me that she's probably worked through these kinds of basic lessons that, you know, let's say the... 18-year-old who falls in love the first time or the 21-year-old who, like, this is different than everything else, if she only focuses on that new relationship, that wonderful relationship, she's really in bad—she's in deep doo-doo later on. Deep doo-doo. Diagnosed by Mama B. Oh, yeah. All the professional terminology will come out of my mouth at once. (laughs) Then we'll really be in deep (laughs) doo-doo. Well put, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you think it is harder for successful women, for smart women, for um, motivated women? Yes, I do. I do. I do. I think it takes longer. Why? 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to say the thing that you've always uh, sort of not wanted me to say, I think. Try me. Um, you know, I think uh, strong women, uh, successful women, competent women, they just get called the, the, the word that, that rhymes with witch. And people, people are threatened by them. I do think it is harder for smart women. I mean, I, instead of kind of being sad about that, maybe the smarter woman can use her smarts to adapt to the situation and maybe forgive when she's faced with some stupid nonsense that doesn't really kind of fit in. Uh, she, she knows it's not appropriate. It's still there, and it's still something she doesn't have control over. So knowing that that's unfortunately true, how do you think people should stay resilient? Like, what can they do to really fortify themselves? At least for me, after I get over my uh, emotional piece, if it's anger or upset, then I automatically kind of look at a situation and see if I can learn from it. When I think back to um, one of the guys I dated in um, college— My mother pulled me aside one day and she said, don't ever let him think that you're smarter than he is. Really? That's what she said? Yeah. She was very clear that the woman should be uh, passive and be submissive. Mm -hmm. Well, Grandma Ski was part of a very different generation. For sure. You know, what I learned from it is that probably wouldn't have been a good match anyway. It's really interesting that you bring up grandma because I think the way that dating has evolved over the generations is is kind of incredible and really part of this story. Um, it's funny, I'm actually reading a book right now. Let me grab it. Uh, it's called Labor of Love, mm. and it's about the invention of dating, mm. and it's by Maura Weigel. She's a social historian looking at dating since its invention. <laughs> Which she says it was 1896. Wow, that's a that'll be fascinating. I know, right? So should we should we hear Maura's advice? I'd love to. The problem or the difficulty you're describing is something that feels really familiar to me, uh, and I imagine feels familiar to a lot of sort of intense type A, high achieving, privileged type women. You know, for so much of history, women have, in most places and and cultures, have basically been like chattel, right? I mean, we've had to find male partners and get attached to a man. You know, we have to move from our father or brothers to a a spouse, or otherwise there was no way of existing or supporting or protecting yourself. And of course, thank God, that's no longer the case. But I think another really interesting thing that's happened in more recent history over the past 20, 30 years is that marriage has become almost a sign of achievement, almost as if it's like something on our CVs, or like I think the sociologist Andrew Churlin coined this expression, but he says marriage 
used to be the cornerstone of adult life. It used to be that people got married when they were 20, you know, or right out of high school and then sort of built their adult lives on top of that. And more and more, it feels like a capstone. So it's no longer a cornerstone. Now it's a capstone. It's something you do when you've finished college and finished graduate school. Uh, now the median age of first marriage is 27 for women and 29 for men, higher than it's been in American history. I say all this, you know, it's a bit of a, a digression, but I say all this because I think that this combination of factors can make it feel like almost like a professional goal or obligation that ironically, precisely the women who have least need of a partner to support them, you know, executive women, the kinds of CEOs you coach, feel this intense pressure that's both personal and social, you know, comes from within and from peer groups. And I think that navigating traditional self-help for professionally successful women can be kind of bewildering, right? All the professional advice sends one set of messages. It's like, lean in, like brag, ask for it. Uh, and then all the personal advice seems to be almost directly the opposite. You know, it's like The Rules, which is a book uh, that's basically like 32 different things you shouldn't do that you want to do. It's like lean out, the opposite of <laughs> a lean in message or, you know, it's not him, it's you. Or what is it? Harvey, um, Steve Harvey is like, act like a lady, think like a man. You know, it's like if you want to have sex, don't. If you if I had sex and want to call him, don't. <laughs> um, you know, anything you might want to take the initiative about, just don't do it. And I think that there's a real danger as a woman to sort of losing touch with what you actually do want. I mean, if you're too good at that game of always repressing everything you feel, you end up like not knowing what you feel yourself, right? I mean, the best way not to seem needy is not to need anyone. <laughs> and I think that a lot of this advice actually can make women quite alienated um, and quite distracted from what they want, which was sort of supposed to be the point in the first place. Uh, in some of my research, I spent a bunch of time talking to matchmakers, to like professional matchmakers. And one thing that was interesting, I interviewed a wide range of them, everything from sort of like the hipster art school dropout who lives in Bushwick, Brooklyn, to a woman in Palo Alto who charges $100,000 a head, who does tech people, to, uh, you know, sort of old maternal aunt type figures, one very religious Jewish matchmaker. So anyway, across this spectrum, one thing that almost every single one of them said to me was that if they make a match, if they introduce two people, they say that unless it's really awful, like unless the first date is really, really awful, they make their client go on a second date always. Uh, and I think that, and this ties in maybe to your status as a CEO, coach, executive, you know, this kind of very type A go-gettery woman. I think that our desire to apply those same logics that we use in our professional life to personal life can make us want to be efficient and want to kind of process people more quickly. And actually, every matchmaker will tell you the best thing to do is to actually spend time and slow down, right? Because you don't, I think, again, all these apps and the whole sort of commodification of dating makes us feel like it's a kind of window shopping. And there are all sorts of cultural systems in place to make us feel that way. But it's not like buying a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes. You know, we can't know how we're going to feel about another person until we spend time with them. So anyway, that's one set of thoughts I, I was really struck by that all these matchmakers, again, very, very different kinds of people, very different kinds of clientele, said it's really important to see someone at least twice. And I would ask you to reflect a little bit about 
what kind of equality you have in mind. Like, I think that desire can surprise us, you know, and I think there are all sorts of ways that inequality among men and women is sort of like assumed or, you know, the very tradition that men are supposed to pay for dinner or pay for drinks comes from the fact that men historically made much more money than women did. Uh, women, the first women who dated uh, in the early 20th century couldn't afford to buy dinner or drinks. And still men on average make much more money than women in similar lines of work, right? A dollar to 77 cents if you're white and, uh, I think I want to say it's 64 for African-American women, 56 for a Latina on the dollar to white men. But anyway, so there are these expectations that we have, like a man paying or like a man inviting, which is tied to paying, uh, you know, man making the first move, that come out of these historical inequalities and I think sit uneasily with certain high-achieving women today because on the one hand, our culture is like internalized signals like a man paying as a sign of regard or a sign that, um, you know, that he cares about you or is interested in you. On the other hand, uh, it may well be that your emotional and spiritual equal doesn't make the, make as much money as you do if you're a highly successful woman. So anyway, I don't think there's actually an easy answer to, to this question of equality and what it means among genders. And by the way, I realize, okay, you do say guys. I didn't mean to assume that it was guys. <laughs> but I do think that what history can give us about some of these questions is a kind of clarity or a sort of map in which to see where our feelings come from. And I do think uh, this idea of equality, wanting a man who's your equal, it's like, does that mean a man who makes as much or more money than you? Does it mean a man with your same education level? Is a question that I'd encourage you to to think about and also maybe be open to reevaluating because I think that in a world where, thank God, at least some women have kinds of professional status and attainment that previously weren't available to women, that changes gender roles and expectations and might change what we can expect of, of men we're involved with. So, Mom, what did you think of Maura's advice? I'm especially interested to hear what you think about what she said about the matchmakers, like making people go on multiple dates, even if they're like not jazzed about the person. Do you think that's that's productive? Yes, I think it is productive. And um, there's a bunch of reasons for that. Uh, you know, mostly just everybody's on their best behavior at the first date. And also, if they're taking it seriously, they're kind of nervous or anxious. So they're not they're not really comfortable. And the second time, you can just have a little more leisure, know that both of you have agreed to a second date. Most of the matchmakers or experts in this field or whatever you want to call them, they say you cannot know unless you meet the person in person whether there's any good chemistry or not. Almost that you can't tell by just looking at the description online or the picture or whatever. You have to be within sniffing distance. <laughs> this question was brought to you by a listener like you and this show can only be made with listener questions like yours so send in your questions at advicefrom.mom that is the way to get advice from mom so dr detective mama b you want to tell our listeners what to expect in the next episode well you know i don't really care about valentine's day but I do care about Galentine's Day. 
Dun dun. <laughs> Advice Her Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Jane Riccobono. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. The music under our question is by Scissors for Lefty. And our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you're enjoying Advice from Mom, make sure to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found our show. Your review helps new listeners find us. And we really appreciate it. And I know Mama B does too. The the Myers-Briggs is more for the professionals. It's expensive. It's used very widely in corporate America by the um, Human Resource Department. And the Kiersey is much more for us everyday people. And it doesn't cost much, if anything. And it's um, it's just out there and available. And I think they're, they're very, very similar in the results that they give. And uh, the descriptions of the temperament types are very similar, but they, they are different. So is it kind of like Myers-Briggs is like a tool for the professionals to judge the masses? <laughs> no? Did I get it? No, Did that, I get it wrong? That's exactly right. You got it right. Okay. And so then Kiersey is like, Kiersey, power to the people. Figure out by yourself what your temperament type is. And don't share it if you don't want to share it.